You're listening to the GNU World Order, Episode 9 of Season 13 for 2019. Hold on, let me consult my chart of Julian date calendars. Non-leap year, 055. Hi everyone, this is Klaatu, your friendly host, or at least I strive to be. Uh, friendly, that is. I'm, I generally am your host. Uh, 13-9. Okay, so I'm, li- I'm looking at my notes here. Listener feedback, flat pack, um commentary and some more of the tea items from the a package set of slackware okay so that's that let's jump in i'm recording this episode a little bit in advance so i'm doing some listener feedback uh that might this is actually a little bit late really in terms of responding to this listener feedback and yet if you have then emailed me since since last week i i'm already recording it so you won't be answered until later so that's Be tolerant of offsets, is all I'm saying. So this one's from Ronald. Ronald says, I've recently discovered your podcast, and it's become my favorite Linux podcast. So thank you for your efforts. Well, you're welcome, Ronald. And thanks for calling me your favorite Linux podcast. I am truly, truly honored, because there are a lot of good ones out there, and I don't know if this should be your favorite, but maybe you'll find some better ones later. So I'm not going to hold you to this. May I make a suggestion, he says. The audio is a bit quiet compared to other podcasts, and the coffee break music is quite a bit louder than the voice. Could you mix it so that your voice is louder and matches the coffee break music? Also, date formats for shows. I have no opinion other than the year should always go first. Make dates sortable when exported. ISO 8669 question mark date format is always preferable. Well, how can it be always preferable if you don't know the ISO number? I get your meaning, though. I realize that exporting the date field isn't a likely scenario in this case, but it is a good, it's a good habit. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and he says, as a Canadian, where we're supposed to use uh, date, date, or yeah, day, month, year, but our American neighbors use month, day, year, the ISO format saves a lot of confusion. It's a significant issue. I absolutely agree, Ronald. There, I So I grew up in the USA and was very used to month, day, year. Never really thought about it, to be honest. I just, I just, well, I, I shouldn't say I never thought about it. I started to think about it once I got serious into computers. And, and anytime you start using dates in computing, you realize how horrible having to deal with a calendar really is and and how silly it is to sort things by either by month or day rather than first by year. So what Ronald is saying here, I completely agree. Uh, but being in New Zealand, where they do use, um, what is it, M- uh, day, day, month, year, tends to confuse me a little bit because the place where I work, a lot of the people there are in the U.S., and so they use uh, day, uh, no, month, day, year. And, and it's very confusing because I, I felt like I was just getting the hang of of really switching over to the New Zealand format, like the, you know, arguably more correct format, day, month, year. Uh, rather, yeah, day, month, year. Oh, geez. And, th- and, then, and then suddenly now I have to remember the other format as well, and it just gets so confusing, and it's really annoying. And honestly, it, it should, it's just, it's a format, it, it's so obvious that it should not be month, day, year. That is so arbitrary, really. Really, really arbitrary. I mean, I guess it's not arbitrary, is it? Like, if, if you're... If the context of your daily life is, okay, well, what... No, it's still arbitrary, isn't it? Yeah, it's still arbitrary. Sorry. Anyway, as to the more important point of this email, 
Ronald says that my mixing's all over the place and it needs to be stabilized. Okay, well, I have done, I've taken measures to correct that as of the previous episode. So in 13.8, I have, um, I now, I'm running everything, well, I've always been running it through a compressor, which is uh, to, or the way that I'm using it is to, to take sounds that are lower and raise them up closer to the, to the, to the higher sounds. So I've, I've been, so I, I'm not actually using it as a compressor, but yeah, so I've been doing that. But lately now I am uh, running it through an equalizer and, and then through a limiter. So hopefully between normalizing, equalizing, and then of course limiting, uh, hopefully the, the levels you should find are, are more stable and hopefully approximate the coffee break music. Now, the coffee break music should be loud. Um, it's an, it's it's not not meant to lull you into complacency. It is an alarm to motivate you to go get coffee. So that ought to be loud. But whether my voice should be quiet or not is probably a completely different. That's probably yeah. That's it's arguable that that part's probably pretty important. Um, if nothing else, just for um, for the fact that the voice goes on for like 40 and 50 minutes per episode. And the coffee break only lasts about 30 seconds. So, okay, so hopefully I fixed that. But you'll you'll have to give me feedback on this, um, Ronald and others, because I my listening my podcast listening is it it's very structured and it tends to revolve around mundane tasks, which rarely in my in my remote working from home, my, my mundane tasks do not involve a lot of uh, external noise usually. So levels of podcasts for me tend to all be pretty much fine. Like I have no complaints. They're, they're all fine. Would that be different if I was working some previous job near a server room where there were bunches of fans and stuff uh, or – or in a kitchen where there were washing, uh, what are they called, dishwashers going off and, and stuff like that? Yeah, probably not. So right now, though, I'm my my um, point of reference is pretty is pretty much useless to you. So give me feedback about the levels. Let me know if this is better, if this is not any better, if it's getting better, whatever. Let me know. Um, I, I don't have a fancy microphone setup, just so that everyone knows. I, I record on a headset, uh, Plantronics, I think DSP 26 or something like that. That's it. It's, it was 49 bucks at a, literally at a Radio Shack seven years ago or eight years ago or possibly nine years ago now. It was right when I got to Pittsburgh. So that was, yeah, that was probably about nine years ago now. Um, so yeah, it's not super great audio setup, but um, I refuse to spend money on, on podcasting. And uh, so... Because I don't want to have to ask ask for support, right? So I, I'm not spending any money on it. Um, if I ever get serious about podcasting, I, I may invest in a better microphone or something like that. But for now, while I'm still kind of feeling it out, I'm just kind of using this little USB headset mic, and I'm doing what I can in post. So let me know how how it's responding. I am eager to make it better for you, and I appreciate the feedback. Just keep in mind that I'm not doing a bunch of pre-processing. I, I don't have a bunch of equipment that is going to take my voice and normalize it and stabilize it and then record it. You know, this is all, it's it's me into Audacity and then a couple of adjustments 
before export. So that's that's the setup. We'll see how it goes. Let me know how this sounds. So I've been looking, as you know, probably at a couple of different technologies. One was um, Flatpak, one was App Image, and one has been Snap. I think Snap or Snappy. I forget which one it was, but um, these are the kind of I, you know, it's it's interesting. How, I'm not even sure how they're billing themselves now, but they're I guess what we can call them is application delivery systems, and. I have been a fan of App Image and and remain a fan of App Image because it is a self it is the self-contained solution and I I I urgently urgently vehemently believe that that's an important uh, an important technology to have available to us if for no other reason than because other operating systems have it available to them and Linux should not simply not have that available but but more more significantly, because sometimes that's what you need. As I've said in the past, there are occasions where you are in a place where you do not have network access. One person has something on their computer, an application on their computer, that you want on your computer. And the only viable way to get the thing from one to the other is just send me the file. And if you can't do that on Linux, then I think that that's a huge disservice to users. I think that that not being a possibility would is just a that's just that's shameful is what I'll call it. So App Image provides that, and that's very very useful, very very cool, very very exciting. And I've been using App Image for lots of different applications, and I have no complaints. Little little tiny things here and there, um, little little things like. Um, oh, this application, when I when I go to save a document, it doesn't take me to my home directory. It takes me to, uh, I don't know, sl- uh, to the root directory of my of my computer or something like that. You know, it's like uh, some some minor thing here or there. Maybe I've noticed in some instances, and I, I it's not even enough for me to have tracked when I saw that, or and or even track whether it was just something you know that that was happening then because of the because of what I'd chosen previously, you know, I, I don't know, so I'm, I'm not sure. But App Image is fantastic. It, it truly, truly is. I'm, I'm a huge fan. And yet, and yet, App Images are big. They really are. They're they are big things because they bundle. I mean, the the policy is this thing is a self-contained application, and so it bundles a lot of stuff into it, and that means that it's a big download. And you know, darn it, if if if, as a Linux geek, I have the luxury of installing something that is merely, well, let's say, 100 megabytes versus something that is 300 megabytes, then I'm going to take the 100 megabyte install. 100 megabytes, you say? That sounds really big for a Linux install. Well, yes, it does. And the reason I chose that number was because flat packs also exist. So flat pack is the other, and, and snap. Snap and Flatpak are these other systems of delivering applications. And in principle, they're similar. In implementation, they're different. And so they have these library sets that you can install to give yourself a kind of a a typical layer of, of libraries and support files and so on. And then upon those layers, you install 
applications that you want to install. And these applications run more or less in a containerized environment. And and that's not, I mean, I'm not saying they're a true container, but they're 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 somewhat cordoned off from the rest of your computer. And 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 they, they do this because they have these base layers of, of support files, these these kits. So, for instance, if you're installing, I don't know, let's say uh, Events, which I think is a PDF viewer for GNOME, I think. Let's pretend like you wanted to install that for some reason. Maybe it has some killer feature that you want. So you, you, you want to install that, so you tell Flatpak, let's say, to install that, and then it would install the GNOME kit or, or you know, the GNOME support kit or something like that. At the in the base layer, and you'd get that, and then maybe you'd get like a some other layer, and then you'd get the events layer that you that you needed, like maybe GNOME, and then yeah, well, who cares? It's an example. So that's and then you have this nice tidy little events install within Flatpak, and that's been working out great. And then I had the occasion recently to try out Snap from Ubuntu on Fedora, no less. I needed a a PDF editor called PDFTK for for some stuff that I was doing at work, and PDFTK for whatever reason has dropped off the map on Fedora. Now PDFTK has or th- there are alternatives to PDFTK. One called PDF Stapler. It's pretty good. Doesn't do everything that PDFTK can do. There there are some missing functionalities there. So I needed PDFTK very specifically. Turns out that someone packaged it for Snap. And I thought, well, if this is, if, if if ever I needed an excuse to try this thing, now's a good time. So I installed the Snap subsystem. Now Snap is a little bit different than Flatpak because it requires that a, a little Snap daemon is running in the background. And that seems a little bit strange because I'm thinking, well, I don't really, I don't really feel like I should have a, a daemon running in the background just for. You know, just just because I installed an app, like how's that? You know, so I'm always gonna have to have this daemon running just because I one one time installed PDFTK. It just seems a little bit strange to me. But functionally, I have to admit, uh, it's completely invisible to me. I have no clue that it's running. I don't care. It's never gotten in the way. Um, who cares? So I installed Snap and installed the PDFTK Snap. Had a couple of bumps along the way. But I and I I can't I can't commit to whether it was something with Snap or something with you know some instruction that I failed to follow correctly. I'm not a hundred percent clear, so I'm not gonna I don't want to I don't want to talk about what that was and then how to correct it because I'm not clear on on whether it was actually a Snap thing or, or just a, a me not understanding how Snap was going to work. Because I did I I went into Snap very much with a lot of preconceptions of how it was going to work based around Flatpak. Because I thought, well, Flatpak and Snap, they're basically the same thing, right? Well, no, of course not. So, long story short, PDFTK was is now running on my Fedora laptop through the Snap subsystem. And, and i got to say, that kind of sold me on the idea. I was very skeptical because I thought, well, Snap sounds like it's really implementing a lot of stuff that was going on with Flatpak. And, and I guess I still kind of feel that way in, in a way because I, I feel, couldn't we just maybe just have one or the other? And not have both, because one of the appeals of Flatpak and Snap is that, in theory, third-party developers who have no investment in Linux whatsoever don't want to get involved with 103 different types of packaging formats. Can just deliver to Flatpak. I mean, Snap, or both now too. I'd rather than just have one target, right? But whatever. Point being, 
Snap seems pretty solid so far. I've, I've been using PDFTK certainly at least weekly, to say the least, and uh, it, it, it works quite well. No, n- n- nothing has been, no unpleasant surprises. It's been working quite well. Now, one thing I'm going to uh, mention here is something that I noticed on Flatpak, which I guess you could call a critique, and that is that Flatpak, in a way, removes the simplicity of launching an application in some cases. I very frequently, for instance, launch GIMP from a terminal, because a lot of times I'll be in a terminal and I'll be looking for a file that I need to edit or whatever, and then I'll, I'll, I'll find it, and so I'll just do GIMP and then that file name, and it opens, and we're off we're off editing graphics. Very, very simple, kind of what I've come to expect on Linux. Now, Flatpak runs applications um, sort of within the Flatpak system, and so in order to get GIMP to launch from a terminal with Flatpak, you have to type Flatpak run org.gimp.gimp and then the path to the file that you want to edit. That's pretty clunky. If you if you if you're used to GIMP file and then you have to adjust to Flatpak run name of repository item file, that's really clunky. Um, I'm 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 hoping and I'm assuming I guess I hope that they're working on a, a, a graceful solution to that, because that's um, that's really tough, especially since org.gimp.gimp happens to to be kind of peculiar. So first of all, I needed I would I, yeah I would actually have to know what repository I got an application from, which I, I don't know why someone would be expected to know that. Uh, I mean not you know you, you you if you only have two flat packs maybe you'll remember it, but Assuming that you don't, then then is that really a reasonable expectation? So Flatpak run org.gimp.gimp is, is further compounded. The the complexity is further compounded by the fact that the it just so happens that the GIMP repository, the Flatpak, the Flatpak uh, repository for GIMP, is org. lowercase GIMP. all capital GIMP or org. all capital GIMP. lowercase GIMP. So uh, and I don't remember which one, and that's this is this is a thing that I'm. This is kind of one of the things that made me mention this because there's just no way for me to remember <laughs> which way it goes. So it looks like I have uh, I've just tried to launch. No, I don't think. Yeah, okay. So I did get it right. So it's org. gimp. capital g capital i g ca- capital m capital p. So it's org. gimp. big gimp. That's the correct way. But if you forget that and you think okay well what is it is it org dot capital gimp dot lower gimp or is it org dot capital or lower gimp capital gimp very difficult to remember the order of that particular repository at least for me and i don't know why that is now the obvious solution that you're probably thinking is well you ought to just do um an alias right so you alias lowercase gimp equals and then flat pack run org.gimp.capital, all capital GIMP, and then and then that from now on, if I do GIMP and then some path to a file, then that works. So that's the obvious way to do it. And and indeed, it's, it's in theory what I would do. I, I don't do it specifically because I want to be aware of of the fact that I'm running a flat pack and that this is the repository. I, I kind of want to just remember that that's... I want to have an excuse to interface with flat pack sometimes, so I, I don't alias it. At least I haven't yet. I, I may eventually, but um, for now I have not. 
So GIMP alias that would work. That would work fine. Um, the other solution that I thought of as I was just sort of mentally just sort of ruminating over this, I thought, well, you know, on macOS, you do you, you cannot open, you can't launch packages directly either, or, or applications directly either. I mean, not GUI ones anyway. If you if you had typed, I guess, um, well, maybe it would work for GIMP because that, that launches the X11 system. But um, let's say that you were using, I don't know, some Mac application. Let's call it Fun Sparkle app. So if you're using Fun Sparkle app, then you wouldn't be able to just type in Fun Sparkle app. You would have to type in open and then dash A, I think for application, I'm not sure, or, or app or something like that, dash A, and then Fun Sparkle app. Now it knows to look in, it knows to look, you know, it has a path, it has a sense of a path, so it knows to look in uh, slash applications or wherever the applications are kept now on macOS. I haven't used it in too long to know where they've put things now, but but you do have to preface it with open-a, and that always used to annoy me when I was just learning Linux way, way back, where it wasn't even Linux yet, I was learning Unix, and so, I, you know, and I'd been told, like everyone is, Mac OS is a great Unix platform, you can learn Unix on this thing, I mean, it's not untrue, I guess, well, I mean, it's not untrue that you can learn some Unix on a Mac OS platform. Whether or not it's a great Unix platform, that that is debatable. But um, it, it used to always annoy me because I'd I'd learn all these cool tricks on Unix, and then I'd try it on the you know with with things that I used every day, and not, nothing would ever work. And I didn't understand really that that you know that, that Unix doesn't doesn't mean that everything's going to work the same way. It just means that everything's got a common sort of structure to it. So Open Dash A, I'm just wondering if if is that is that is Flatpak run our open dash a? I mean, I still can't. I can't believe that we're going to keep the org.gimp.gimp syntax. That's that's pretty bad. I, I that, that's um, that's pretty ugly. But um, it's just it's kind of interesting that the Flatpak run thing is a is a thing that you have to remember if you're using Flatpak right now, anyway. And, and you know you don't see that if you're using if you're just using it on a normal like the kind of the way that you think you should use it, which is you go to your K menu or your Start menu or your GNOME menu or whatever it is, and you find your the application listed there and you click on it. Of course, in that dat, uh, in the dot desktop desktop file that populates a, an application menu, the exec line is flatpak run org.gimp capital gimp, but and you don't see it because you're just clicking an icon and it's going, and that's fine. But yeah, if you're if you're doing stuff from the, the from a terminal, that's that's a problem. And and I'm not sure that I love the idea that I have to preface stuff with Flatpak Run. And I'm not sure if I love the idea that I'm going to have to alias things if I don't want to do that. Uh, I guess I could see a future where Flatpak makes the alias itself. I'm not sure if that's the best way to implement it, but I guess it could it could be a thing, like a post install, hey, add this to my bash aliases. And either way, Snap doesn't do that. Uh, Snap, when I installed PDFTK, when I launched PDFTK from a terminal, which is the only way you can launch it, it's a, it's a command, it's not a GUI application. When I launched PDFTK, uh, it's, not a, it's not a snap run PDFTK and then all the different options, it is simply PDFTK. So, yeah, it's kind of it's just something to be aware of that that Flatpak has a little bit of some 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 quirky syntax right now, and and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. I'm not sure if there's a I'm not sure if there's a right or a wrong answer really. 
Um, I mean, other than getting rid of the org.gimp.gimp thing, like it obviously needs to have an application name. But but in terms of how that command actually gets implemented, I'm not sure if there's a right or a wrong way. It'll just be interesting to see how it develops. And and either way, be aware of it. If you're using Flatpak, the, the syntax to run a Flatpak once it's installed directly from a terminal is Flatpak space run space and then the name of whatever whatever Flatpak sees that application as. If you don't know, if you're not sure, then you can do a Flatpak space list to see what is installed. So this is a little bit confusing too. So Flatpak uh, list, as I said, so I've got org.gimp.gimp, I've got org.olivevideoeditor.olive, I've got org.freedesktop.platform.gl.nvidia, I've got org.freedesktop.platform, so a bunch of platforms, in other words. And those are, those are marked in the options as a system comma runtime. The other, the other two, the, the, actual, the actual runnable applications, org.gimp.gimp and org.olivevideoeditor.olive, are marked as system comma current. A system dot, uh, comma current it does not say to me it's an executable, so that's a little bit strange as well. But it turns out that if I do a flat pack run um, org dot olive video editor dot olive with a capital O, then it does indeed launch the uh, little alpha video editor called olive. And same with GIMP. Now, if I tried to do any of those things with anything marked as a as a runtime it would not it would not function like i would expect so for instance here's a org.freedesktop.platform run org.freedesktop.platform with a capital p dot ffmpeg if i try that it t- tells me app slash org.freedesktop.platform.ffmpeg slash x8664 master not installed so that's a little bit confusing because you think how do i how do I launch this thing? Well, apparently it's not an executable. It's a runtime. It's a yeah. It's a runtime. The the executables are marked apparently as a system comma current, whatever that means. So, again, just something to be aware of. It's something that will probably get ironed out eventually. I imagine. I, I don't imagine they intend for that to be to be a permanent thing. Although maybe they do. Maybe they are seeing Flatpak as an icon only. You know a clickable-only sort of interface, like that's what they intend. I'm not sure, and and I didn't do any research to find out what their roadmap was. I'm just observing that that's something that I've experienced lately. So if you're playing around with Flatpak as I am, then that's something to be aware of, that, that in order to launch something directly, you need the whole repository name. And if you don't want to do that, break out the aliases. Time for coffee. Let's get some. <laughs> My coffee. Uh, this is the just the store brand, or, or not the store brand, but like uh, off-the-shelf Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee is what I'm drinking right now. I will say that I had an excellent cup of coffee at the Red Hat office that I was at um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was called the El, no, yeah, Salvador Dali, uh, the Salvador Dali, uh, 
that was the that was their name for it. And I had such great coffee at that office that I I kept it was a a problem that I was having um, that I wouldn't I I kept every cup of coffee outdid the previous. And so I would have a cup of coffee and I would think this is it. This is my coffee for this trip. Like the whole week I'm going to drink nothing but this coffee. But then of course I would go to some other location and I wouldn't have access to that coffee. So then I'd try another one. I'd say, oh my gosh, there's no reason to drink any other coffee than this. So this whole week I will, I will just have this coffee, but then I wouldn't be there. You know, it just went on and on like that. So the first one was at a Sheraton hotel, which I was not staying at, but I'd stayed at previously. So I knew that their coffee, the coffee at their, their downstairs little cafe was really good. And there's this lady who mans the booth every morning, and she's super nice. And so I would go there, I would get the coffee, and it was delicious. Now, one day I went in, and the lady wasn't there. And I thought, well, the coffee's probably not going to change, right? Boy, was I ever wrong. The coffee was completely different. So it was just this one lady whose name I forgot to get, but she's there. She's been there for the past three years. So um, I, I'm, I'm assuming I'll see her again. So... She she apparently makes great coffee and uh, it, it it was great. But when she wasn't there, I, I after that first morning that she wasn't there, the next morning she wasn't there. So I went to another place called Tama T A M A I think it's a cafe, and they had fantastic coffee. Don't even know what what they call it. It was just really good coffee. And then I went into the Red Hat office and had the Salvador Dali, and that was possibly even better. So it is. It's really, honestly, a toss-up between those those three. The the whatever they were serving at Sheraton Hotel, whatever they're serving, made by that one lady, whatever they were made, they're serving at uh, Tama, and then finally whatever they were serving. No, well, Salvador Dali. That's what they're serving at um, at the cafe. So those three coffees were excellent. And if you have a chance to try any of those three things based on the information I've just given you, you should definitely try them. Okay, so now we are going to overview time and tree. Such a mythical and mystical sounding task, but it's actually a lot easier than you might think. So time command runs another program, then displays information about the resources used by that program collected by the system while the program was running. I don't know if you've ever used time. It is very useful. I use it a lot when I, you know, I'm, when I'm running a command and then I'm walking away. A lot of times I'll do time just out of, I guess, curiosity. Just kind of like, well, what? how long did that command run after I left? What what happened between the time that I left and while the command was running? A lot of times that's something like DD or rsync or something like that. Some kind of long, something that I expect to take a long time. But not always. And, and sometimes there's other reasons for needing to know the timestamp of something. But here's the catch. Remember how we were talking about TCSH versus Bash in the previous episode? Well, Bash has a built-in time command. So if you just type in time, for instance, uh, so this is how you use time either way, really. But but there is a there's a catch here. So so if we type in, for instance, time, and then space dd space if equals dev u random o of of equals dev null status progress, 
then it launches a, a, a dummy DD process that copies bits from a random place, you know, dev u random, to avoid, dev null. And I control C out of that. Now it, it returns this output, real uh, 10.94 seconds, user.094 seconds, sys 10.845 seconds. That seems to be exactly what time... That, that's that's the time, right? That gives you some time measures. Well, believe it or not, that's not the time command. It seems weird, but it's true. It is not, it's not the thing that you think it is, maybe. That's a built-in thing to bash. Bash, it's, it's built-in time function of, of bash. Decoded, all of that stuff means the real line is the actual, like it's, it's as if though you had a stopwatch. If you had pressed start and then launched the command and then stop, and when you con pressed control C, that's the real time. User time is the amount of resources that the CPU used using uh, outside of the kernel in order to accomplish this task. And then sys is the amount of CPU time spent in the kernel within the, within the process. The only one I've ever needed in real life is the real time. I don't care what's going on underneath everything and what's taking up CPU time versus you know, what's running in user space or user mode, whatever, doesn't, I, I don't really care. So real time for me is all I actually need. And there are ways to filter it down to get just to the real time, but the only way I know to do that is to actually use the real time command, which is not just typing in time. That's, that's, that's a collision, actually. So you can do that. You can just type in time and then any command, and it will run the command and then it will show you how much time it's spent doing that command. That's a perfectly valid use for for this function. But I'm, I'm you know I'm telling you if if you are in Bash, then that's not the time application that we are talking about. If you have time installed, you can do a which time, and it tells you that wh where that is installed. And in my case, on Slackware, it's slash user slash usr slash bin slash time. So if I execute slash user slash bin slash time, and then for instance I'm going to do a dash dash format equals percent lowercase e, which I happen to know means or, or refers to give me a string formatted as the elapsed time, and then I'm going to do my dd command if equals slash dev slash urandom out file equals slash dev slash null and then we'll keep doing the status equals progress because I really like that function and I'll hit return and I'll let it go for a moment or two and then I'll press control C and now it just it all it tells me at the end of all of this command terminated by signal 2 okay great 4.98 seconds that felt about 4.98 seconds I would say so that's the actual time command and if you want to see what options are available to that command, you can do a man time, and you can see um, the the different string format options that you have, which which are pretty useful. There's percent %e for elapsed time, which again, that's really all I care about. But if you want the other um, information, you could do a percent capital %s, which would be the equivalent of the sys uh, output, which is the CPU seconds that the process spent in kernel mode, versus percent capital %u, which is the total number of CPU seconds that the process spent in user mode. You could also do percent capital P for the percentage of the CPU that this job got, computed as percent capital U plus percent capital S divided by percent capital E, 
percent capital E being elapsed real time in hours, minutes, and seconds. Uh, ca uh, percent lowercase e is um, elapsed real time in seconds only. And there are others. There are lots of other other options. So the real time is a little bit more useful, I would say, if you really want to drill down into what's going on. You get averages and I mean, really, you can really, you can go crazy with it. Like, percent lowercase p, average size of the process's unshared stack space in kilobytes. I, mean, I don't even know what that means, but there you go. You can get that information using user bin time rather than the built-in function time. Okay, there you go. So that's time. Next up is tree. Tree is a really, really cool command. It is um, something that I keep meaning to use a lot more often. It is exactly what you might expect it to be if you expect it to be a list of a directory content, uh, directory contents in a tree-like format. So if I'm if I cd to my home directory, just cd return should take me home, right? And then do tree. I get wow, that's a lot. Um, shouldn't have done that. No, that's a bad place to do a tree command. Uh, we're we're going to go into downloads. There's not a whole lot there. So we'll do tree there. That's a lot better. Uh, and then it, it, it gives me all 43 directories, 1,308 files with little lines drawn from, from one to the other uh, such that you can see kind of the hierarchy of, of the structure of that directory. You can, you can control what's being listed a little bit. Um, and, and how it's being listed. So there's uh, tree-d for just a directory listing. Uh, a directory listing. You can do tree. Uh, what is it? Lowercase p for uh, the full path, printing the full path. And permissions actually. Maybe that's permissions. Maybe it's capital P for the path. Speaking without looking at what's actually going on. No, there is no capital P. Okay. So. Um, Prints the full path is dash f. Sorry, so tree dash f. Yeah, that's the full path. I don't know why you need half of these things. Honestly, the, I think the the killer feature of tree is the fact that it lists a directory and its contents with those pretty little lines drawn, so that you see the inheritance right there visually in front of you. Because I don't really have a great handle on what people who say, oh, I'm a visual person, what what they like need or prefer. I don't know if tree would actually be a, a really useful thing for, for people who like to see things sort of more visually represented. I, I honestly don't know. I would be interested in, in showing someone the tree command. I cannot, however, imagine like doing tree in home, your your home directory, I mean it's useless basically because you get this this you get a screen screenfuls and screenfuls and screenfuls because I mean unlike you know if you just do an ls of a directory depending on how you have things configured you can have multiple columns so you you get it kind of all in a, a chunk of your terminal window whereas tree there there really is no equivalent to that there's no way to make tree sort of collapse. Or, or diversify itself necessarily. I mean, there probably is. Like, if you really think about, like, how, okay, how could we restructure this such that the top level is centered, maybe, and then we could have multiple listings and columns underneath it, something like that. But I, I feel like that would that that might get a lot more complex 
even just to look at, to be honest. So tree can be a little bit overwhelming if you're not using it with lit, uh, with uh, less, rather. So if I do a tree pipe less, well, then that's great, because then you have, you have like this little uh, genealogical chart, you know, of, okay, here's this folder, and within that folder there's this folder, and within that folder there are these files, and then after those files there's this folder, and, you know, you get that, and it looks really, really nice. But it takes up a lot of space, it really does. It just goes on and on and on forever, because there's, there's a lot of files on a system, usually. That said tree is really spiffy it looks it looks really cool it's a nice little command to give you a visual representation of hierarchy which sometimes gets lost well it sometimes gets lost with ls certainly because there's no there's not really a picture of hierarchy there's a little bit of a workaround with ls dash capital r i keep doing this in my home directory and then i regret it here we go ls-r where it, it shows dash capital r where it shows you the the, the direct the, the path of the directory and then and then colon and then it shows you in many columns depending on how you have your terminal set up but columns uh, lots of different file names that seems pretty useful to me but tree can do that for you as well if you want it to and and it'll just print it in a long vertical line which you may or may not be able to parse very easily I mean, modern terminals have the scroll wheel. You know, you can just kind of scroll back up and look look through it. I can also imagine this as a great thing to redirect output, you know, into a file. It's like, okay, I want I want a directory listing of this project, but if I just have a bunch of name, you know, file names on a uh, in a document, that doesn't do anything for me. But if I if I redirect the output of a tr of tree into a file, and I can open it up. I get the pretty representation of the thing, and I can kind of scroll through, maybe delete the stuff that I don't want. You know, I can I can I can see a, a sort of a quote unquote visual person doing that and and quite liking it. So it it, it strikes me as a very useful command, and it's it, it's one of those very useful commands that I never use, and I do mean to use it, but then I, I guess I'm not I must not be that type of person who needs the visual representation, I guess, because I just, I don't default to it by any means. But that's tree. Not, not, not a whole lot to say about it. Uh, look at man tree for all the different options. It's a good one to, to know about anyway. It's one that I often forget about, and then when I rediscover it, I think, wow, I have tree installed? That's great. Oh, it actually came with Slackware? That's that's nice. And that's it. Th those are the, that was um, for the T... The T category within the A package set, that was tar, TCSH, time, and tree. We're, we're through the T's now, and we can start the U uh, uh, category, the, the, the W, the X, and the Z. And then we'll be done the A package set, finally. This might actually happen in 2019. We may actually be able to move on to the AP package set, which is very exciting. listening to the GNU World Order AUGcast. This has been Klaatu. You can reach me on IRC. I'm on the Freenode network usually in channels such as AUGcast Planet, Slacker Media, Slackware, a couple of others. My nick on IRC is not Klaatu. You can also reach me lately on Mastodon. My username there is at Klaatu at Mastodon.xyz. 
Of course, you can email me at clatu at member.fsf.org. That's clatu at member.fsf, as in free software foundation.org. And of course, you can visit my various websites, gnuworldorder.info and slackermedia.info. I will see you next time. Coffee will be ready soon. We'll have a cup and try again. <laughs>